What is going on? Happy Monday. Welcome to Canucks Talk. You're on Sportsnet 650 with myself, Jamie Dodd, and my co-host, Canucks Insider, Thomas Drance, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. I hope everyone had a great weekend. Lots to talk about. The Canucks lost again, but we will start. It's the Bo Horvat show. We will start with Bo Horvat. It's the Bo Horvat show. The latest update from your colleague, frequent uh, collaborator, Rick Dollywell on Donnie and Dolly earlier on Czech TV. Collaborator is an interesting word. Don't know if I like that. What? I don't like that. The feel of that. No, no I'm no. thinking more like uh, yeah. you know when the kids say, "Oh, we're gonna collab." They they collabed on this. Okay, well, not not the like me and, <laughs> me and cooperating with the invading foreigners. <laughs> yeah, sense like, of the I term. don't know. I don't know, man. There's something. There's something about that. Me and <laughs> Rick Vichy Dollywall are <laughs> uh, frequent. Our frequent call our athletic colleagues, and we often work together. Yes. Now, in this case, we didn't. Thanks, Rick. Great scoop from my colleague Rick Dollywall today. Dollywall reporting that on on his show Donnie and Dolly that the Canucks made an offer to Bo Horvat. That offer was rejected, and that as a result, the Canucks are open to trade offers. The best offer for Hor- mm-hmm. Horvat, presumably winning the day. Now. Here's what I can tell you. Here's the here's the context Let, I can on. add. Let's, okay. let's listen to the clip. Oh, so we, we got hear, the clip. We have, we have the clip from Dolly on uh, Donnie and Dolly we have to earlier to today. Dolly? Yes, I know. <laughs> I'm gonna make you we'll we'll do that and then we can get uh, we can I get, get into it and what that on means. my walks. So here is Rick Dolly while earlier today on Donnie and Dolly on Check TV. Yeah, Donnie, uh, here in the Canucks made an offer to Bo Horvat. Uh recently it was rejected. The Canucks uh, stretched it to as far as they could go. As of right now, I believe they have gone as far as they can go. Even the number the Canucks were willing to go to, uh, they would have been over the cap at the end of the season, Donnie. Mm-hmm. Bo has earned the right to hit the free agent market. The Canucks will now take the best offer for Bo. It was always going to be a tough contract. The moment you gave $8 million, Donnie, to okay, JT yeah, okay. Miller in the summer, it was going to be... Uh, okay, now, so people are going to ask, what was the Canucks' offer? Knowing what I know about uh, everything that's gone on in the few last few months, I'm going to guess it was under eight. Donnie, guess I, I, I still be I, I believe Bo and his hot start have put him over eight. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe the Canucks, they just after the Miller contract, Donnie, they just the, the wiggle room is not that you they can't they can't sign another eight million dollar player. They just can't do it. That is Rick Dollywall earlier today reporting some of the details uh, about the latest negotiations between the Canucks and Bo Horvat. Only one scoop of raisins in his raisin brand today, but otherwise, uh, 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 <laughs> banner morning for my colleague Rick Dollywall. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack here. First of all, I want to start with this. I can confirm Rick's report, not that he needs me to be you know, pressing F7 and spell checking him, right? Like, Rick Dollywall's dead on here, and you know, it was a couple weeks ago. And, and, you know, I, I sort of, I, I was on Donnie and Dolly with, with Dollywall. And I was like, look, the sense I got this week has changed. I'm getting a lot of, pass- I'm getting a sense of pessimism. Uh, Rick and I reported it at length that Sunday. The next day, multitude of insiders had the, had the same mm. intel. Like on, by Monday, the t- t- tone had changed entirely. That's the timeline. Like that's the timeline. Recently, it's a couple weeks back. It's, it's actually during that week 
where the tones seemed to change on both sides, um, as, as reported, you know, first by Dolly Wall and I, followed up by a variety of the most plugged-in insiders. Now, this isn't a bandwagon effect, right? This is someone reports something that seems outrageous, and the most connected people in the business all go and check on it, right? They all go and check on it. When when you report something in Saravalli and, and Friedman and company come out later and are like, yep, that's in line with what we're hearing now, that's how you know you're right, mm. because they're all making the same calls, right? They're figuring it out. So a couple weeks ago, anyway, the Canucks made this offer. I believe, you know, I believe that it was probably a max term offer, right? That's that's what I believe. I don't have that confirmed, but I, I do believe that it was probably a max term offer. I think there was a sense to, you know, and, and I think we were careful about it, talking about there being a lack of progress, but yep. I think the idea that there weren't talks rankled, I think both sides, to be totally honest with you, right? Like there, there were active talks up until about two weeks ago when this latest offer was rejected. Not only are the Canucks open, as I understand it, to effectively hearing offers on, on Bo Horvat, I, I think that's an active process right now. Like I think they are listening currently, engaged actively in talks. This is an active situation. And Rick, you'll notice, you know, he didn't have the money. When Rick says, I, I'm guessing, he truly is. Mm. Like, he is accurately captioning the intel that he has. Um, but, you know, I, I do think the dynamic of the Miller extension rules here, right? Like, how can you, as the captain of the team, who's now one of the top goal scorers in the NHL, take less than your teammate? Like, that's a hard sell, even if the extra year is on offer. And... So, so that's part of the context here, but the, but the, I think the bigger part, the more important part to note here is, like, I don't know that this gets revisited if the Canucks are able to, like, make some moves that clear cap space. Like, I think this is trending in a direction where, at some point in the near future, Bo Horvat will no longer be a Vancouver Canuck. Now, I don't say near future as in, like, before the holiday right. roster freeze, but prior to the deadline, I think that's where this is going now okay I, I really do I think this is I think there's a beginning to be an understanding that this is headed in this direction in a meaningful way not in a this is a very fluid situation and anything could happen kind of way I think that I think this is trending in this direction now that's of course unlike in the NHL playoffs <laughs> yes anything can happen in negotiations yes. anything truly can happen the club's preference was clearly to extend him or they wouldn't have made the offer mm -hmm. but I, I think this is one where, um, you know, I, this is this is not like this doesn't feel to me in asking around in the wake of Dolly Wall's report this morning. This doesn't feel to me like a, you know, ping pong match. Like this doesn't feel like another phase of a negotiation. Right. This, this feels different. Like negotiating through the media. Right. This, this feels different. This feels like there's a real sense that a, that a parting uh, could be in the offing at some point and. Club remains intent on multiple young assets. Um, I, I don't think I don't think there's a huge appetite to trade Bo Horvat with like a big contract coming back or with retention. Uh, I think he'd most likely be shopped as a rental mm -hmm. as opposed to in in the Matthew Kachuk sense of like permitting everybody and and you know their uncle to discuss extension with Horvat and his camp uh, at Newport Sports. So I, I think this will be a pure rental type deal, club prioritizing multiple young assets, ideally a center, ideally a, a right-handed defenseman, 
And I, I really do think this is now the direction we're going in. Last thing I note, I don't think there's going to be strategic consideration given um, to making the move like proactively so as to soar your team's chances right. the rest of the way. Like, I don't think they're going to rush a deal because part of the return would be the fact that you're no longer you're losing going Bo to, Horvat. Yeah, you're losing Bo Horvat. Well, and, and think about where this team is poised, right? You are at 27 points in 28 games. So just just a shade beneath fake NHL 500. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to get 94 points, historically the playoff bar since the NHL adopted the current formats, 93.2 points. So if you if you want to get to 94 points, you're looking at 102-point pace the rest of the way. If you want to get to 98, which would make the playoffs last year, right, you're looking at 108-point pace. And I always say the real number is 97, right? No one has ever missed the playoffs with 97 points yet since the NHL adopted this current playoff format. And in fact, before that too. 97 points, like there's two teams in history that have missed with 96. Two teams in history, NHL history, but zero have missed at 97. So that's always been to me the real number. Like you want to know what for sure gets you in historically? It's 97. That's 106 point pace. So you're not getting 106 point pace out of this group sans Bo Horvat. No. Like we all know that, right? I mean, Bo Horvat's one of the NHL's best goal scorers. He's a fixture on the Canucks power play, plays matchup takes a million draws a game, <laughs> logs huge minutes in all situations. I mean, they're not getting to, you know, 100-plus point pace over the latter half of the season without Horvat. Um, so, you know, you can understand how much this should impact, in my view anyway, the the big-picture thinking of the club in terms of what comes next. But But with Horvat, the key here is going to be the return, right? There will be a patient approach in terms of waiting to get the offer, the right offer. And that's consistent with what we saw, you know, at the deadline last year with a variety of players, some of who ended up some of whom ended up being resigned over the course of the summer, right? They're going to wait for the right return. That's gonna be the priority here, as opposed to, you know, um weakening the team strategically to up their draft stock or anything like that. But I do think that at this point um, there's not a ton of suspense about where this one goes, right? And and again, always subject to change, but this is truly like, you know, the the fine print as opposed to the sorts of meaningful qualifications you usually have. Like I want to I want to make it clear, like these are weaker than usual qualifications for a reason. I do think that this is trending uh, pr- pretty clearly now in, well, in one direction. And as you're, you're reporting again, just to emphasize that. On active, active trade talks, right? Now, that doesn't mean serious. That doesn't mean close to completion or anything like that. But it's more than a a theoretical abstraction at this point. The Canucks talking to other teams about a potential Bo Horvat deal. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can get your thoughts in. And look, there's a ton, a ton to unback here. We've talked about it repeatedly on this show, right? When you really step back and look at the situation, the possibility of trading Bo Horvat, the captain of the team, where he is with goal scoring, drafted and developed by this team, all of that, that's a massive, massive deal. So there's a lot to get into here. Um, These texts start to come in, right? Don in Richmond says they should trade Miller and sign Horvat. He'll be a better player longer. Another one comes in from Sebastian. Uh, Simple, if you want to keep Bo, you can trade Myers and Besser to free up the cap space. So there's two questions here, right? One, there's one where Canucks management might be looking at it and saying, man, 
we don't have the cap space right now to do what it's going to take to sign Bo Horvat long-term. Therefore, we can't make the deal. Now, if that's the reason, right, if it's just about cap space, well, then theoretically, yes. If you are able to move out some cap space, maybe you return and maybe there is a possibility uh, to get a Bo Horvat deal done. But that's just one consideration. The other consideration is how they value the player, right? And it might be that, hey, even if we did move Besser and Myers and somehow took no money back and all of a sudden we opened up all of this cap space... Uh, on our books going forward, we still don't want to pay Bo Horvat eight and a half million or nine million a year or something like that, right? Like, there's two things here: it's the cap space, but it's also just do they want to commit that money to the player? So it's not as simple as well. If they pull a rabbit out of their hat and open up all of this salary cap space, boom, a deal is going to get done. No. You still have to be excited about giving the deal to that player, even if you have the cap space all of a sudden for it. Well, and I think I think they got to a place where they were a bit uncomfortable. And I think once you get to that place where you're a bit uncomfortable and make the offer and it doesn't get accepted, I think that, you know. If you're already uncomfortable there, you're not going to get more comfortable going above that, right? So, and, and you know, there's a bigger picture thing, which I want to get into in the next segment. I don't want to, I want to keep the focus on fans' reaction. Yep. Like, this is, you know, major news and I think it deserves uh, to be Absolutely. sat on a bit. But, I mean, there there is obviously an argument that, you know, would it have made sense for the Canucks to even make the deal? That made them uncomfortable in the first place, given oh, all the other commitment. Like, I think that's the big picture question I have. And, you know, I just think at the end of the day, this club needs the, – the way they view it anyway. My my understanding of how it's viewed internally and, – and I reported this around the time that the Miller deal got done. Like, paying Bo Horvat 7-5 doesn't kill you, right? It's paying lesser players 4, 3, 2.5 mm-hmm. that kills you, right? And this team's still, what, a year or two? out from I think having sort of their books like the structure structure often applies to play on the ice right when when Rutherford and Alvin talk about structure that's mostly what they mean habits um you know strategy mm-hmm. but but I also think it applies to books it also applies to your cap picture and and I think that's partly how it's thought of internally like you know they're, they're unstructured internally in terms of the way their books look and so you get to this moment where, you know, you want your when you're when you're a GM when you're in Jim Rutherford or Patrick Alvin's shoes, and you look at this team like you want Kuzmenko to earn a big contract because you want him to be really good. You want to have found a really good player, right? You want Hoaglander and Pod Colson's second contracts to be complicated, right? Because that means they've been really effective for you, right? You want Paul Horvat to be pushing to be an eight and a half million dollar player because that means he's leading the league in goal scoring or thereabouts, right? Like that's what you want. You want your players to make the case to earn a ton of money. You want your players to perform well. The problem is, is when your books are clouded, polluted the way Vancouver's are after years of poor investment and poor strategy to Mm -hmm. take on a host of inefficient deals, those good stories become complicated stories. Right. And I I think that's where you've reached a point with with, you know, honestly, you probably had already reached that point when you did the Miller deal and the Horvat deal. I mean, at some point, at some point, how much money can you responsibly sink into a core group when the clear best player is still not locked up long term or at least not even beyond next season? Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, the, the group itself hasn't accomplished anything like at some point the time comes that it has to be enough. Like you have to be willing to replace a good piece. 
And Horvat is a good piece. You know, I don't know, coincidentally, I don't know that we've ever seen a centerman of this caliber move as a deadline rental, like probably since coincidentally, Jim Rutherford acquired Doug Waite in 06. Like, I think that's how far back you have to go. I don't think we're saying Matt Duchesne, who was pretty clearly a winger at that point, is uh, is of Horvat's caliber when he was acquired by Columbus. Not to mention he wasn't top five in the NHL in goal scoring at the time of the trade. Like, I, you know, I, you have to go pretty far back. And even Doug Waite, he was like 35. You know, and he's still like, he was, he's still a great but player. Was, but, but but what was his points clip that year? Uh, he was, he had, before the trade, he had forty four and forty seven games. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, and and but the year before too. Yeah, the year before. No, he was close to a point a point per game player still right. at that point in, in his and, career and dead puck era still. Like yeah. or or just on the outside, uh, just on the uh, the pre- closing so chapter. The previous two years in the dead puck era, sixty seven and seventy, sixty five and seventy five. Yeah, so really good productions. Yeah, and so I mean. But, but that's the point. Like, yeah, he's 35, Bo Horvat's younger, but as a rental. Like, if you're trading sure. him without an extension built in, you're trading him as a rental. And I think the main point is, you know, we, we just haven't seen a player like this move at the deadline in 16, 17 years. Honestly, like, I think that's fair to say. And when we have seen guys even close to this weight class move over the last three years, first plus plus. Right, including the Duchesne return. Will you do me a favor and look it up so we have the specifics? But sure. I'm pretty sure it's a first, a conditional first. Vitaly Abramov, or no, I think maybe yeah, I think Abramov, and then maybe an additional mid rounder. But it's something like it's something absurd like that. It was a huge package. Yeah, so it was a 2019 first round pick, uh, 2020, 2020 first round pick. Both of those were were conditional. Now the first one was just. Uh, top three protected. Yeah. The second one was if Duchesne re-signs with the Blue Jackets, Which Ottawa, he didn't. Ottawa would receive Columbus's 2020 first-round pick. Okay. And if if he does not, then they didn't get a pick. So they didn't get a pick. They didn't get any pick. They didn't get a pick as a result. Got it. So, so it was, they basically so it was, got it was Abramov, first-round pick, rental insurance with the second conditional, and then, and a then third. A Jonathan Davidson as well. Okay, yes. so a, 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 a prospect defenseman. So yeah. you had a prospect defenseman, a prospect winger, a first-round pick, and rental insurance in the event that Duchesne had remained in Columbus. Right, I, I, that's an interesting thing for the Canucks to consider, especially if they're not. That's like a good. Stru- I'm glad I made you read that structure because that's a fascinating wrinkle that I hadn't included in my every trade for the last twenty years spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. Um, but that might be something to consider too as part of the return. Do you do you up the return with a conditional pick that only converts in the event that Horvat remains with his current group? I, I mean, that to me. That to me is a really smart approach. Something the Canucks should very, very clearly consider. Like that to me is a good template for a deal, particularly if the Canucks are intent on netting a, you know, a couple of young players. Like if you can get a first, a conditional pick, a prospect and a defenseman, and a, and a forward prospect, that to me would be a fabulous return. And and look, at the end of the day, I'm a big Bo Horvat admirer. Like I believe in Bo Horvat as a first line player. Said this a million times. Inbox hates it. I know he would have been on Team Canada if they'd played. And here's the best thing I can say about Here's the top compliment that I can give Bo Horvat. As an absolute nerd who doesn't believe in clutch players, <laughs> I think Bo Horvat is fire in his belly and, and ice in his veins. I think he elevates in big games, and I think it's a crying shame that he didn't get an opportunity to play in more of them while he was a Vancouver Canuck. So, you know... 
I want to say all of that because it's it's hard to find someone who's higher on Horvat as a player, as a person than me. But the big picture question for me is this. Are the Canucks closer to winning a Stanley Cup in the event, as seems increasingly likely, that Horvat is dealt? Or if they extend him? Like, that to me is what I want to talk about in segment two. Because that to me is the big question here. And I don't think it's a particularly tough question to answer. Some other uh, reaction coming in, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Chef Swagger from Hell's Kitchen says, I think the majority of the fan base have known since September 2nd, which is, of course, when JT Miller signed, that Bo wasn't going to be a Canuck next season. Another one comes in. How quickly do they have to do this deal to avoid a distraction? That's an interesting question, but I think one thing we've seen from Jim Rutherford this season is he's not too concerned if there's distractions around the team. We all thought, well, there was some speculation. Are they going to have to make a coaching change because it's so much of a distraction? Nope. <laughs> no, no, we're not. So I don't think he's going to be too concerned about this being a distraction either. You really worry, though, how Bo Horvat would perform with this sort of distraction hanging over him. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. He's having a career year amidst, you know, uh, constant churn of contractual uncertainty and other drama while he's captaining a team in the noisiest market in the NHL. Right? Like, you think a distraction's going to impact Bo Horvat? Yeah. Guys, water off a duck's back. Water off Bo Horvat's back. We're actually I hear they're amending the adage to apply specifically to him. It's a it's a big change in the adage version of the Oxford dig- dictionary. Uh, we got tons and tons of texts coming in. You can keep yours coming in as well, 650, 650. So much to get into. We'll take a quick break here, uh, get into some more of the big picture stuff and uh, all of your reaction as well to the latest reports about Bo Horvat again, that he has rejected the Canucks' latest offer and that a trade seems likely, obviously not inevitable, but certainly seems likely at this point. More to come on Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Monday. Sportsnet 650, Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz with you as well. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. If you're just joining us, we are reacting to the latest reporting uh, about Bo Horvat and the status of his contract negotiations with the Vancouver Canucks. Of course, Horvat UFA after this year. It was reported by Rick Dollywall on Donnie and Dolly on Check TV earlier today that the Canucks have made uh, a, a late uh, their latest offer to Bo Horvat, their best offer to Bo Horvat. It was rejected. It was already something that made them uncomfortable, the Canucks going that high. Obviously, it doesn't get it done, so it certainly looks at this stage that... Bo Horvat is on the trade market, and our own Thomas Drance confirming what Dollywall had to say and then also indicating that active trade discussions, the Canucks are listening to other teams calling about Bo Horvat. Now, that doesn't mean anything is imminent, but again, what Drance was saying, what Dollywall was saying, all signs point towards the two sides not being able to reach an extension, and that sometime between now and the trade deadline in early March, there's a very good chance... Not 100%, but a very good chance uh, that we do see the captain of the Canucks, Bo Horvat, involved in a trade. Of course, lots and lots of reaction to this. We'll get back into the big picture perspective on it, what it means for this team in the years to come. But first, I do want to read some of your texts, 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. This one comes in unsigned. 
Should have traded Miller for whatever in cap space and never should have traded for Oliver ekman Larson. Those contracts would have been off the books now. Instead, you're paying two players who are long in the tooth for years at how much money total. And then another one comes in. Uh, this one from Jake and Nanaimo. He says, time to get real. Trade JT and Bo Horvat and whoever else you can. EP40 is the only player to keep. Another one, Jackson Brophy from Campbell River says, I think trading Horvat is a good idea. They need to overhaul this team, and the only untouchable is Petey. That's from Jackson in Campbell River. And the thing with the Bo Horvat situation is this is one of those cases where two things can be true, right? To borrow a, a favorite expression from our guy, Satyar Shah in Canuck Central. Two things can be true here. On the one hand, you can look at this and say, man, it's really frustrating that the Canucks have made all of these mistakes, or at least what look like mistakes right now, they, these bad bets that have added all this inefficient money to the books. And as a result, they've kind of forced themselves into a position where they have to move on from Bo Horvat. Their captain, still relatively young for a UFA, having an incredible season. They've kind of backed themselves into a corner where the only logical move, because they're not going to be able to meet his asking price, is to trade him. And that's very disappointing. I think it's very fair. Very fair and understandable to be disappointed in that reality, to wish that they had made other decisions. But you can also look at it and say, okay, setting aside the fact that a lot of poor decision-making led them to this point, now that they're at this point, the best move is, in fact, going forward to trade Bo Horvat. As difficult that is, as that is, as much as, uh, of an emotional connection as there might be, as well as he's playing for the team this year, all of those things can be true, but it is still probably also true that the best thing for this team to do is trade Bo Horvat. And that can be disappointing. That can be tough to swallow. I think it is tough to swallow. I think it's frustrating. But I think it's also true. And Jordy from Winnipeg says they shouldn't pay Horvat eight and a half to nine a year. He's a fine player, but he's been here for 10 years and it's time to move on. He hasn't been the biggest problem during that time, obviously but he's part of the same core that has failed time and time again. That's Jordy from Winnipeg. And again, yeah, no, Bo Horvat's not the problem. There's there's more than one problem, first of all. And Bo Horvat is certainly not the problem. He hasn't been the problem, quote-unquote, during his time here in Vancouver. But as Jordy says, this is a team that's also in desperate need, desperate need of a shakeup. We can all see it, and we haven't talked about the game against Minnesota on Saturday. Obviously, we've been focused on the breaking news about Bo Horvat here. But, I mean, how many performances like that over the last three seasons have we seen that the Canucks turned in against the Minnesota Wild? And you watch those over and over and over again, and it's very, very hard, very difficult to escape the idea that this team needs to do something differently. And maybe in an ideal world, you wouldn't be kicking off that change of direction by trading Bo Horvat. But I think there's a lot of fans, as Jordy kind of alluded to there in his text, there's a lot of fans that say, look, this isn't what I would choose. But if it's going to kickstart a rebuild, a retool, whatever you want to call it, something different, that's what it comes down to. I'm not as concerned about the semantics. If it's going to kickstart something different, then all right, I'll get over it and, and we'll, we'll deal with it. Austin and Langley along those lines says, the cap is an efficiency contest. Horvat at 8 plus doesn't put this team into being a contender. Who is the Canucks? Bowen Byram playing for a song and logging top minutes in the Stanley Cup final or the McKinnon or the Taves. This team is nowhere close. And he says, just stop digging. And that's exactly it, right? 
are you going to take and look this is not a team right now that needs to take one step up the NHL hierarchy you know Drance always loves to put things in tiers right this is not a team trying to go from tier two to team one to tier one right from tier two as the you know perennial playoff contender to tier one legit Stanley Cup contenders that's not where the Canucks are if that's where the Canucks were you could say okay Maybe we don't like the deal long-term, but we're going to sign Bo Horvat. And we're going to try to find some other pieces around the perimeter to, to make us take that jump. But that's not where they are. They're just still trying to get in that perennial playoff range. They need to make multiple jumps up the hierarchy of the NHL standings right now. And it's just so difficult to see how they are going to be able to do that or how they would be able to do that if you're locking up you know, both JT Miller to eight million on a long-term deal, and Bo Horvat to you know eight eight plus on a long-term deal at the same time. It would be very very difficult to see how they were able to do that. This one again along the same lines comes in unsigned. It forces the team to change. No playoff success, no prospects. This is a chance to get prospects and hopefully a grade A defenseman in return as well. And the return part of it is going to be really fascinating. And Drance is just working the phones a little bit here. So we'll get him back on the show momentarily. And uh, as I say that, he he walks into the door. Uh, Drance, welcome back. Thank you. This is a story that requires some work. Um, I'll have more later at The Athletic. But yeah, just trying to put together the pieces. I hadn't mentioned until... Uh just like 10 seconds ago that you were outworking the phone. So I was, I think dragged people, the puck well. well, people were probably wondering like, this is the longest Drance has ever gone yeah. without saying a word. What's oh, hey. happening here. Hey, I'm, I, I wear a lot of hats <laughs> mostly cause I'm bald, but today's, today's a day that requires, um, you know, you dip in into those minutes. I'm going to use a big allotment of my minutes over the course of the day. And, and look, this is a, I think a major story, a, a major rupture, uh, between the club and its captain and, you know, I do think it's decidedly trending toward a far more likely than not exit. Mm-hmm. I think that exit is extremely complicated. I think it's going to be deeply emotional for Canucks fans. I think it's going to be deeply emotional for Horvat himself. You know, this is a guy who, at the end of the day, has settled here for nine years. Yep. Right? Um, he's a family guy. Family's vitally important to him. And, you know, you can tell in how he carries himself, right? Like, this is a guy who loves being the captain in a Canadian market, right? You don't handle all the stuff he handles the way he handles it if you're not on some level, right, into it, right? Like, if you, if you, if you don't love it day to day. Like, Bo Horvat loves wearing the sea in a Canadian market where hockey is everything. All of that said, it's been nine years. Like, it's been nine years. The club's been to the playoffs twice. Once his rookie year and once in the bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, Horvat is a business-minded person, right? I've talked about this before. Yep. He's, he's a businessman. Smart guy. And he's going to have a ton of options. You know, at the start of this offseason, right, there was a real sense that the club wanted to get the Horvat deal done. Miller was still very much available leading up to the draft, although as draft day really approached, I felt like his name was not the one that I was hearing the most, something I've reported a fair bit, but like around the league, there was a sense that that was was doable. 
there was a sense this summer, like the club wanted to turn the team over to Bo Horvat in a, in a very specific sort of symbolic way with a long-term deal. I, I would have placed, placed good money. Oh, good money on that happening going into the summer. On, on July 1st, which was, again, two weeks out from the market opening because it was a later than usual free agency period. Like, I think you would have handicapped it at like Bo Horvat to sign a long-term extension minus 250. JT Miller plus 300. Yep. But the long shot paid off, right? Like, talks dragged. Talks continued to drag. Talks have still continued to drag. And in the meantime, Horvat has gone about producing at an elite rate. An elite rate. Right? Like, this is his best season. And the market for centermen has exploded. Ballooned. Ballooned. And then you've got the additional internal pressure created by the club signing his teammate at $8 million. Well, it becomes pretty hard as the captain, as the, as the center, right, to take less considering that. Well, especially when it's not just your teammate. It's, no. it's everyone else around the league who plays the same position as you. Yeah. It, so it's... <laughs> It's really tough to swallow. It would be one thing if it was, hey, maybe I'll take a matching deal with JT Miller or a hair less or something like that, but they'll give me the extra year. They'll give me the eight years, right? So it'll be the same total money or maybe still more total money. But then you look around and it's not just, you're not just comparing it to your teammate. You're comparing it to every other guy at your position who's signing a deal at the same time. And I think that makes it so much more difficult to justify to yourself especially with an organization that does not have a history. You're not you're not taking less to keep the Boston Bruins together or the Colorado Avalanche or the Tampa Bay Lightning together. You're you're not looking at it and saying, "Okay, I'll I'll do I'll give I'll do them a favor and I know I'll be rewarded with long playoff runs for the duration of this contract." Yeah. And and this is where too we reach a point in the conversation where we start talking about the decisions made by this management group. And I really want to insist on this It's not a qualifier so much it's like a guardrail on this conversation, right? Like the cap mess inherited was so significant that keeping Miller and Horvat was always going to be touch and go. Now, all of that said, I think the road to doing that became narrower as a result of a handful of choices made by this organization. Both, both in who they didn't trade, mm-hmm. right, and who they extended, right? Besser, Mikheyev, those are $11 million worth of long-term commitments, for example, that make it harder to do these deals. Um, you know, not moving off of any of your big money, whether it's Pearson, whether it's Garland, whether it's Horvat, even if you would have had to pay a premium to do so, which they only were willing to do in Jason Dickinson's case. And that deal helps. Like, that deal helps in terms of giving you an extra 1.2 in, yep. in cap, but doesn't move the needle, right? So a lot of this is an inherited logic. Like a logic that would have required a Houdini-level handcuffs-off escape to avoid. But but that doesn't that's that's not to like absolve the organization for the judgments that they've made in in sort of, you know, not worsening, but certainly in narrowing the path to keep this core group together the pp1 group together right uh but but i do think it became additionally narrow after you make that miller commitment and frankly and this is what i wanted to talk about in this segment before i missed half of it excuse me um 
but especially because of how this season has started, particularly because this doesn't look like a playoff team. No. Well, I was making the point. It's not as if, okay, you're, you're looking at this Canucks team and you're thinking, how can we climb in the hierarchy of the NHL? But it's not as if they're trying to go from tier two to tier one. You know what I mean? This is not a no. team that's like, oh, a perennial playoff contender. We just need that last push to get us into the, the true contender status. They've got so far to climb. And if you're locking into this core, you're restricting all of the different ways you can improve around them. If they were like, I don't know, the, the Nashville Predators right now or something, or you know, a team that's constantly on the fringes of the playoff race and typically makes it, but not always, maybe you could talk yourselves into, you know what? We're close. We're not going to give up. We're not going to punt on it. We're going to lock this guy up, and we're going to try to get creative around the margins. But they're not there. They're just not there. This was one thing I, I mentioned after the Miller extension was done, was like, I would like it a lot more if the Canucks had accomplished what they did under Boudreaux and Miller was additive, right? Like, mm. if you were a 92-point team that had been at 100-plus point pace for the last 57 games of the season and you bring in a Miller-caliber player from outside, then you're talking about, like, does this player push us to being that 100-point yeah. team durably, right? But to do it and double down on a group that over the balance of 82 had just been kind of average. And and I think this team, like, I will be... I will be 0% surprised if this team ends up at 92 again. You know, like... But that that's assuming that Horvat stays. Yeah. Like, without Horvat, I think you're in a, a real... I think it's going to be really hard to get above, even if you only lose Horvat for the last, you know, 20 games of the season, like a deadline type deal. I still think your success in those 20 games, like your chant, your probability of winning games in that last 20 is going to be dinged significantly, significantly. And yet, if you're trading Horvat as a pure rental right now, like there's not a lot of good teams that are even able to do it right now. Yeah. Unless the club takes money back. And I think the club will be reluctant to take money back. Certainly, certainly will be reluctant to take any long-term money back. So it's going to be a very tricky deal to do. And yet, you know, what are you, what, what's what's what are you telling any GM being like, oh, it's going to be tough for me to do right now? Oh, well, in 06, I acquired Doug Waite in January, and it was super helpful to have him for that extra 25 games. Yeah. Got integrate him, him right him, yeah, into the got system. Got him acclimated, got him familiar with you everything. Know, you yeah. want you want him to play 15 games before the playoffs and then just throw him out there? Like, man, or you could do it earlier. Like, that's the – it's a good story to tell. You know, maybe you try to do it on a Zoom call and brandish that <laughs> Carolina Hurricanes <laughs> cup ring. But, I mean, that's where that's where, that's where where we're at now. That's where we're at now. Um, it's a tough spot. Just to your point about kind of – differentiating between what this management group inherited in terms of the cap situation and what their actions have contributed to it. One of the things that uh, our colleague Satyar Shah reported consistently over the summer, right, as there was there was this expectation that we would see big moves, they would free up this cap space, they'd talked about wanting to do that, and then nothing really happens. And then ultimately they signed JT Miller. One of the things Sat reported consistently was, hey, they were shopping all these guys. They were trying to make deals. They just also had very clear values in mind for them. And if they didn't meet it, they, they were going to say, you know what? That's fine. We'll try again later. I think that's a totally defensible move. That's absolutely defensible. But if your strategy is we want to re-sign Horvat and Myers, 
then what you would have had to do in that situation is say, you know what, we're not getting the value we want for these guys, but we have to clear the cap space, so we're going to bend and we're going to get get rid of them however we can, right? Like, that would have been the path you take if you are dead set on re-signing both Horvat and both uh, JT Miller. Now, you, I'm not... You, you make the deal that stinks to set up the deal you want, exactly. right? Like, the, the Bjorkstrand deal, in part, sets up the Blue Jackets extending Lion A and getting... Gaudreau in the door, right? The the Marino trade for Pittsburgh facilitates them getting off the Matheson deal and bringing in Jeff Petrie. Um, you know, we see this constantly, right? The 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 JT Miller deal for Tampa Bay facilitates them buying Gaudreau and Coleman at the deadline, right? These this is this is sort of how it works these days. Now, um, I'm not saying that would have been the better move, right? I'm just mm. saying there was a path. It just wasn't the path they chose, and now they're here. And and again, I'm. I don't think it makes a ton of sense to move heaven and earth to sign both JT Miller and Bo Horvat to long-term extensions. So I think it's completely defensible that they chose well, but, uh, the path they did. But they did make Horvat an offer. Yeah. So, now so, that's the next so part of it I wanted to get this into. Is, this is the this is the thing to remember. It's not them choosing a certain path. And this this text comes in along those lines, right? Unsigned it says they just made him made him an offer. You don't make a big money long-term offer to a soon to be 28-year-old if you're intent on rebuilding. Nothing has changed in terms of overall direction. I think that's a very fair point. They were willing to sign Bo Horvat at per Rick Dollywell in your reporting to something along the lines of, you know, 8 years, 7 and a half, between 7 and a half and 8 million, let's call it. They were willing to do that. That does not speak to a team that's looking to rebuild. Having said that, and we're we're assuming the numbers. We, we yes, don't have I'm that guessing, correct. right? We're speculating. I believe Dollywell said in the clip it was a, uh, shy of eight million, but but he was that was not guessing. confirmed. That yeah. was not confirmed. So just like just like my term, just like my term, I, be, I I I believe it was a max term deal. I don't know that. That's good. Okay, that's important. Yeah, but let's say for the sake of argument, it's somewhere in that neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. The, the texture is 100 percent right. That does not speak to a team that's looking at this and saying, "Hey, how can we rebuild?" No, the and, thing and, is though, and I'm sure that reality like that very astute point made by the texter did they sign it no by that by by gary i'm sure that creates a sense of skepticism about exactly where this is going to trend right like oh they'll just they'll just try again they'll just try again we've seen now this organization functions they never trade a player like this that's not in this, I think club's that's DNA. I think that's a fair question to raise. I think it's a perfect. <laughs> I think it's a perfect bit of skepticism to have. Well, what does Elliot Friedman keep saying about the JT Miller situation? It Came looked like it was going to happen, and then boom, they did it. They For decided sure. to do it because they couldn't. That's not what he's saying. But no, no. From he's the outside, it looks like they couldn't countenance trading him. Uh, so, so we'll keep that reservation in the back of our minds. I think this feels different than the Miller one ever did. Like the Miller one. The club's preference was always to sign him. And like you'll remember my reporting about it, like that was always front and center, right? Like the club still would prefer to get this done, but. Yep. The club still would prefer to keep a Horvat as the as and as an extension offer makes clear, but it's a very different tone. It's a very different tone to me. Um, take that for what it's worth. It may it may be worth nothing. This this organization, you're right, seems to uh, explore other all other options and then back into stasis with this core group. But um, you know, I do I do think that this one's material. I I do think that this one's different. And this text comes in unsigned. Also, I truly believe trading Horvat will be the beginning of a rebuild, even if the club doesn't see it that way yet. 
I think that's kind of a good way to put it. And I've made this point on the show before that semantics aside, if you're trading your top five goal scorer, who's your captain and who's 27 going to be 28 next year because you can't sign him because you don't want to sign him to the number at the number it would take to get him to put pen to paper. You're kind of rebuilding. Like you only trade that player. If you're at least taking a step back, right? That, that That's, that's what it says to me. And so again, call it whatever you want, but if you're trading that player, that means you're not, you're not in a win now mode. If you were, you'd just keep them. Yep. Yep. But so call it what you want, but you're kind of going down that road as soon as you make a Bo Horvat trade. Yeah, although if the cost goes a certain way, right? If the market balloons a certain way and elevates him to a point where you feel you can't responsibly do it, plus as all of that is happening, the team is also underperforming your expectations, right? That changes the logic, right? It's like, you know, maybe this is a slightly long, longer project than we expected, but mm-hmm. only slightly. But only slightly. Yep. Right? This isn't Especially if you're prioritizing young players in return, you're prioritizing guys you think can help you two years down the line as opposed to three years down the line. And, you know, as for the start of the rebuild, I, I mean, I, I can see that. I think I think we can see it. But I think we can see it from here anyway. Like, we can see it from here anyway. Uh, we certainly saw it, I think, on Saturday, right, when the Canucks got pretty roundly outplayed yep. by a tired team that hasn't performed very well to this point in the season. Right? Um you know, I saw I saw a lot of people wondering, like, do you know the Canucks are bottom five in the NHL in giveaways? And it's like, yeah. Do you know that the Canucks never have the they puck? They never have the puck. And also, NHL tracking of giveaways and takeaways is notoriously Ooh, it, nonsensical. It ain't good. It ain't good. But, I mean, you know, like, I thought that first period against Minnesota was up there for one of the worst 20-minute stretches of hockey this team has played. Right? Like, they lose 3 nothing in a shutout uh, and get shut out. And... Spencer Martin, who allows three goals against, clearly their best player. Like, clearly. Oh, like, not even close. Like, that scoreline yeah. flattered Vancouver. And, and you know, not to uh, – we'll get into the game in segment three. We'll, well get into you, the game in segment three. Well, Gemma is going to join us in segment okay. three as well. But you well, take then into, let me then let me say it. No, 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 I was going to say, you take into account the context of, hey, we're back at 500 and we're chasing this Minnesota team and they're playing their third and four and, oh, we've got an opportunity to close the gap with them. Stop it. Whatever you're doing, I don't want to You take that don't, context don't do it again. into account and it indeed was <laughs> it indeed was one of their worst periods. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what right. I mean? You're right. Like but you take that context. I don't. And like, I don't like what? that hopeful thing. Stop that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. I just want to say. I was watching at home on Saturday because I sort of took the day, and uh, but I was watching the game still. And there was this like super clip put together by our colleagues on Hockey Night in Canada. And I don't. I don't want to throw stones at our at our hardworking colleagues. It was a fabulous broadcast. But there was one super clip where it was like, the Canucks had the you know um, had so many dangerous chances in the second period, and they run this clip, and it's like. There's no dangerous chances. All from, the, all from above all the like, hash marks. It's all, it's all like Curtis Lazar rush backhand, JT Miller whiffs on breakaway. Like, just like, you know, even the power play was like not generating a ton internally. It was just like, oh boy. Like, I don't know. If that's your, if that's your Canucks pressing super clip, I don't know that they're pressing. Yeah. No, they had, they, they, they had the puck a lot in the first five minutes of the second period. Didn't generate a ton of dangerous chances. And then Minnesota, they, 
gave the game to Minnesota in the course of having three consecutive power play opportunities. It yep. wasn't great. No. Nope. It was not a good performance. We'll talk more about the, uh, uh, the game as the show goes on and also get in, of course, to the Bo Horvat situation as well. Next up, Gemma Karsten-Smith from the Canadian Press. She joins us every Monday. Uh, she will be on the show next segment. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Drantz. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net and 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Gemma Carson-Smith, our friend, our Monday regular from the Canadian Press, is going to join us momentarily here. We'll do uh, our regular off-the-wire segment with Gemma. We'll also get her uh, quick thoughts on Bo Horvat and everything surrounding him as well. And in fact, now joining us, she is from the Canadian Press, Gemma Carson-Smith. Gemma, thanks as always. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you, gentlemen? We're doing great. Just talking about Bo Horvat. You know, it's a day off for the Canucks, but no shortage of content, no shortage of talking points around this team always. But before we start going through some of the the interesting clips from the last week and and do our off-the-wire segment, uh, I mean, I'm sure you've seen the reporting from Rick Dollywall that the Canucks made an offer. It was rejected. It appears to be trending towards a Bo Horvat trade. What's your reaction to the latest surrounding the Canucks captain right now? None of this surprises me. That's my reaction. Um, I don't think that it's surprising that Bo Horvat is uh, considering all of his options and that uh, if he doesn't like the offer from the Canucks, then he's going to look elsewhere. Uh, I, he's obviously earned the right to uh, push for more. He's having a massive season. He's been a, a real – Travis Green always used to call him a horse. He's been a real horse for this team. And if he feels like he's not getting enough, he's going to look elsewhere. Um, I was listening to the show earlier, guys, and uh, Drance was saying that Bo Horvat is a businessman. He is. Like, you don't do the Go Auto commercial just for fun, even though you get to hang out with that cool mini cow. <laughs> um, like, he's a businessman. He's, he's looking to secure his future and to get his bag, and you can't blame him. The other thing is, is that this hasn't, as, as much as he is having a career season, this has not been an easy season for him um, in terms of the team's performance, in terms of all of the noise surrounding the team. So I, I'm not surprised to see him uh, likely to hit the trade market. Gemma, as you said, a difficult season for Bo Horvat. And, you know, I agree with you. I'm not surprised that we're getting to this point because of the logic of his performance. And, you know, the, you look around the league at what centers are signing for. Having said all that, how difficult do you think it will be or would be for the Canucks organization to, you know, not just talk to teams about trading Bo Horvat, but to actually officially consummate a trade for their captain Bo Horvat before the deadline this year? I think there'll be complete heartbreak on all sides. I think fans will be heartbroken. I think there are people in the organization who will be heartbroken. And I think Bo will be heartbroken too. This is a city where he's grown up. A city. He. This is the place where um, he's been raising his family. He's got two young kids and his wife, and and like they've contributed a lot to this community. So I don't think it'll be easy for anyone involved. That said, I think a clean break is what's coming here, and 
I, I think it's probably the best for um, Bo. And in in the long run, like as much as I, I think Bo's an incredible player and I think he's done great things for this organization, if they can get the right package back, it could be good for the organization going forward as well. All right, Gemma, let's get to uh, off the wire like we do every Monday here on Canucks Talk, talking about some of the most interesting clip it, clips and sound bites from the Canucks over the past week. First up, Spencer Martin. He's been thrust into the clear-cut number one goalie role with Thatcher Demko's injury. Uh, what uh, what are we about to hear from Spencer Martin in your first clip? Yeah, so we saw some pretty nutty games last week. Don't know if you noticed or not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, for one, was not terribly happy last Monday night when I had to rewrite my game over story 67 times because of uh, <laughs> that Habs game. Um, you can ask friends. I was not a happy camper in the press box. Um, I was Martin, laughing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Martin was asked um, after a similar-looking game against San Jose how his team is uh, finding ways to win in these crazy high-scoring games. And uh, here's what he had to say. Well, obviously, in our situation, um, that's what we have to do. But going forward, we're going to look to build more consistent ways to win. I mean, um, that starts with me. That's uh, prescient from Spencer Martin, right? After what we saw against Minnesota on on, uh, Saturday, you can't always count on the the big high-stakes comeback after you play poor defensive hockey for the first half of the game, Gemma. Yeah, I probably should have prefaced that. that This was (laughs) after the San Jose game. (laughs) (laughs) But... uh, what I found really interesting about this this clip was that Martin talks about how being consistent starts with him. And this comes through like midway through his first week as a starter. And to be fair, not a great week for him. The Montreal game was obviously, obviously a low, but I thought that he was a lot better against the Sharks after that first goal, of course. And I think he was one of the Canucks best players um, against the Wild on Saturday, even though um, they were shut out. I think he had some really solid saves and, and some really solid play. Uh, it's not his fault that he's playing behind that defense. Yeah, it's Saturday night was his best game since taking over full-time as the starter, but three goals against, and which one should, have, should he have had, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does it feel like it's trending to be a lot of long nights here for Martin? What what do they need from him, and and does what they need from him outstrip all reasonable expectations yes on yes i do believe it outstrips all reasonable expectations because i think what this team needs is what we going to stand on its head if you're going if you're going to field that defense every game that's just what you need is someone who's who's going to be able to clean up um some very ugly scenarios some someone who's going to be able to stop the puck when they're facing an odd man rush for the 74th time in a night. Like it's, it's the same things that we're seeing again and again. The reason that this team had uh, a modicum of success last season, they didn't even make the playoffs is because Demko was standing on his head. He wasn't to start this season. Now he's injured. Now they're relying on Spencer Martin and he's like, Spencer Martin's a good goalie. Is he a stand on his head goalie? I don't know. We haven't seen it yet. But uh, I think he'll need to be if if he's going to backstop this team to the kind of success that they want. It's interesting, Gemma, because I think a lot of people understand that the Canucks' success under Bruder last year was in large part due to Thatcher Demko. And of course, we heard it from from Jim Rutherford last year, right? We have a good goalie, as you know, the first thing he says when asked about what the strengths of the team. 
I think there's a difference, though, between kind of knowing it intellectually and seeing it play out now that Spencer Martin is in in that night after night, right? I, I think it could be the kind of thing that helps it kind of sink in for a lot of people watching this team just how instrumental that spectacular goaltending is to their success. For sure. I think I think it it's an eye-opener. Um, and maybe it opens the right set of eyes because – we 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 keep talking about this defense. We've been talking about this defense for ages, and very little has changed. So, um, fingers crossed. But uh, also, <laughs> all the good wishes to Spencer Martin because he's the uh, what he's facing is not easy. Next up uh, from on our off the wire segment, JT Miller, who is certainly under the microscope after his performance against Minnesota. On Saturday, I'm not sure if this is from after Minnesota or from another time this week, but uh, what are we about to hear from JT Miller, Gemma? Oh man, is he ever like he's he's an amoeba under that microscope? <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> I love that. That's that's very fitting with our general uh, audio aesthetic there. Um, nicely done. Thank you, thank you. Uh, so the Canucks aren't the only team that's been playing these crazy kind of intense third period games, and uh, Miller was asked. I believe this is after practice before the San Jose game. He, he was asked what what's going on around the league in terms of these huge comebacks. Uh, here are his, his thoughts. You're seeing it almost every single night in the NHL. Like, you're not really safe out there. And, uh, you know, it happens all the time in football. In the second half, team starts to come alive. You sit back a little bit and give the other team a chance. You've got too many good players on the other team to, you know, sit back. And, you know, they're going to find a way to put pucks in the net so we got to find a way to make sure we're trying to play forward and play aggressive but you know smart at the same time it's fascinating because we've long talked about score effects in hockey the nature of trailing teams to outshoot the leading club it's just that in a world where goalies only save 90 percent not 92 percent of shots faced it's a much more difficult world for defensive or defending teams isn't it Gemma Mm-hmm. And I think the season that we're seeing that, like every NHL season, we see scoring is up at the very beginning of the season for what a myriad of reasons. I think this season we're seeing that kind of continue a little bit longer than we usually do. It usually cools down around beginning of December, and and it it seems to not be cooling down as as two Canucks games last week will will prove. But I I think that um, with this team the interesting thing that Miller was saying is that they need to play forward and be aggressive and be smart at the same time. So he says that, and that's Friday that he says that. And then on um, Saturday, that's dead air because, um, that was file not found (laughs) when when trying to put it into practice. Loading, loading. The message, the message is there. They're hearing it. And it's just like, does not compute, does not compute. So I, I don't know what the answer is, but I, I thought that was what was interesting, is that the message is there, and it's just not not loading in their brains. Well, it's the same thing over and over again, right? I mean, we've heard it from Bruce Boudreau. We've heard it from, you know, Bo Horvat after the Minnesota game. It's not a mystery. It's not a mystery that, you know, hey, we need to be prepared, and we need to have energy right from the opening puck drop, and yet they just cannot do it. They can't do it consistently, Gemma. Yeah, how many times have we seen this team sit back for at least part of a game this season? And Miller said that, like, in that clip, that they, they can't do that, that no team can do that in, in this league because everyone's so skilled. But every single game, I, I do not see a single, I have not seen a single game this season where they've played a full 60 minutes. Every single game, there's, there's a 10, 
15 minute window, sometimes longer, where they're just absent. So I, I don't know what the answer is. We've, we've talked about what the potential answers could be. Is it conditioning? Is it like, is it structure? All of these things, but like no answers are coming. So I don't know. Yeah. And, and it, if conditioning was the answer in October, it can't be in no, in December. Like these guys are playing too many games to still have that be an issue to still be behind the eight ball. Uh, so I think we can cross that off our list. Uh, Gemma Canucks practice yesterday, uh, bag skate at the end, long, maybe 65, 70 minutes on ice. Uh, everyone absolutely drained following it. Um, just one of those days where you knew, you know, the, the demonstrative hockey anger was, uh, was turned up to about 10. Um, have you noticed the way that as the message continues to not get through, as these lackluster performances pile up, are stacked upon one another, even when the Canucks win, that it feels like there's more onus being put pretty directly or explicitly at the feet of club leadership, like from a player perspective. Have you noticed this? Like whether it's JT Miller not playing in overtime, uh, bag skate, Bruce cutting into the team's focus and effort level during practices, um, you know, not even trying to disguise his, his unhappiness from the assembled media. Like, yeah, do you sense this frustration mounting? For sure. Absolutely. And I think that um, that's a really good way to put it, that it's being put at the feet of leadership, because uh, where else are you going to put it? He's tried everything else. He, how many games has he he's benched Hoglander? He's he's sent Pod him down to the AHL. Like he, it's like he, it's time for the leaders of this team to step up and answer. I mean, and I mean, it was time back in October, but he's just trying whatever he can. There's a lot of spaghetti on that wall, and not much of it is sticking. So uh, he, he's just. That frustration is is very evident at this point, and I don't blame him because it's he he likes to say that it's one step forward, two steps back, or two steps forward, one step back, and uh, you can see that. And it must be so frustrating to feel like you're stuck in a snowbank and not getting very far. Uh, just constantly spinning your wheels. Uh, we're talking to Gemma Carson-Smith from the Canadian Press here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650 doing our regular Monday off-the-wire segment. Uh, we will get to Bruce Boudreau, but first, before we do, Dakota Joshua, one of the bright, spot, bright spots recently for the Canucks. He's been productive in that fourth-line role. He's seeing opportunities for an increased role with the team. Uh, what are we about to hear from Dakota Joshua? Yeah, he's a bright spot is... Uh, uh, a really good way to describe him because there's a lot of darkness around this group and he's been a, a, a shining, a shiny star. Um, so I was really interested in what he had to say about the Canucks making it ever so briefly to NHL 500 this past week. Um, after practice yesterday, he was asked what it feels like to be back under that uh, ever so elusive bar. And uh, here's what he had to say. Every time we, uh, we seem to be doing the right things, um, we show up and have a performance like that. So uh it's not all corrected, and uh, we make that very obvious on ourselves. And um, once again, until we can all get on the same page consistently every night, um, we're going to continue to be frustrated. That That's a really interesting way of putting it at the beginning of that clip, and that's something I've thought a lot 
you know, not just this season, but going back to last year as well, where he says, you know, every time we seem to be getting on the right track, we have a performance like that. We kind of erase it from everyone's minds when we have a chance to really make it count. And I can, it's frustrating for the fans, I know. I can only imagine that it's very frustrating for the players as well. Especially a guy like Joshua, who's come into this team, yeah. um, this is his first season, and he's produced. Like, not only has he been a solid fourth liner, but he's he's, he's been pretty decent on the score sheet too. Like he's got eight points. Um, he, he had the, the not so hat trick the other night. Um, he's, he's been sticking up for his teammates. He's, he's been trying to create energy wherever he can. And to just, again, feel like your wheels are spinning to see groundhog day, like two steps forward, one step back, all of those fun cliches. They're not fun. They're not fun at all, especially when you're a player and all you want is to win and to you're seeing that you can win, but you're just not seeing it consistently. That's got to be just maddening. The other thing that I found really interesting was how he too used the word consistent. We heard that from Martin earlier, and we're going to hear it from Boudreau in the next clip. Whenever we're hearing multiple players or multiple people around the organization use the same word uh, or the same phrase in a really short time span, it tells me that's a talking point behind closed doors. Mm. So it seems to me like this team is once again preaching consistency. We saw it earlier this year. We're seeing it again. But I I just don't understand how it's not translating into the on-ice product because you see games where they're, they're fighting it out, they're gritting out wins, albeit against some of the worst teams in the league. But like they're they're fighting for these uh, victories, and then they're just laying a complete egg against the Wild on Saturday. It's hard to understand, and yet at this point, I feel like it's baked in, right? Like I feel like we watch this team, we expect <laughs> it. Like you know, you you talk to fans. I, I tweeted after the Wild game, like you know this this six game stretch before the christmas break all against western conference opponents like this was the last favorable matchup because they have a tired team no one else is playing on the back on the uh, back-to-back game the canucks play back-to-back against edmonton like this is this was a wasted opportunity to sort of start this pretty important stretch ahead of the eight ball and the responses from fans are like yeah but this is the canucks they're gonna lose the game they should and win all the games they shouldn't like that's that's what they do and it's like yeah i don't know they might just beat some of the worst teams in the league in overtime and struggle five on five against everybody. Like I, I, I yeah. kind of think it's baked in. I'm not surprised anymore. I know. And, and <laughs> it's, it's just like, you just kind of throw your hands up. You're like, Oh, fine, whatever. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, and that's me as a journalist trying to figure out like what is happening. But <laughs> the answer is just, I don't know. <laughs> I have no answers. Um, but as a fan, it's got to be so frustrating because you like get up with these games. Like, Oh yeah, the wild are coming in. We're like in the same position as them. They're tired. They played against McDavid and Drysaddle last night. Like, yeah, you get stoked for that. It's Saturday night. And then that's what you see. Like, the best part of that game, I was watching from home, but, um, and the best part of that game, by far, was the dog race. By far. The dog race was great. Especially because the Bernadoodle won. 
Yes, and even though I, on the broadcast, picked uh, Flower Bear, who immediately turned and ran for the tunnel on the opposite side <laughs> of the ice, so I got that wrong. But the dog race uh, was fantastic. And Gemma, look, you're in good company in not being able to figure out uh, the inconsistency of the Vancouver Canucks, because we've heard Bruce Boudreaux say much the same thing over and over again this year. And of course, it would not be an off-the-wire segment without hearing from the Canucks head coach, Bruce Boudreaux. I, I heard Jeff Merrick on his show today say that uh, Boudreaux press conferences are now must-listen for him, because you you never know what you're going to get. Uh, what are we going to get from, from Bruce Boudreaux here, Gemma? So here's uh, Boudreaux talking about being back under the 500 bar and uh, looking ahead at the rest of the schedule for this month. You can bounce back all the time. You can look, uh-oh, now we've done it. And then you go ahead and you, and you get a streak and you're right back in it. But you just have to be consistent when you do that streak. You can't um, go 7-3 uh, and three and then go 3-7. and seven. You know, and then it becomes more difficult. So, I mean, especially when you're fighting from behind like we were since the start of the year. There's that word again, Gemma. Consistent. It's the theme of the week, guys. Yes. You know how I love a theme. (laughs) As Drance would say, you're building a theme through repetition. (laughs) That's what Drance says about his work. Thank you. (laughs) What's wrong with that? That's true. Yes. Anyways, what what did you make of that clip from uh, from Boudreaux, Gemma? So this... Answering a Drance question here, um, and this is what Drance was just talking about, about how they've got... Oh, he's answering a, a question from me? Yeah, he is. Oh, wow. Was it a good question? Well, you were asking about the upcoming schedule and how they've got oh, all these Oh, right. Yeah, sorry. I remember this from yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> now I remember. It was yesterday, Drance. <laughs> <laughs> I was just anyway. disappointed. I know. It's... Uh... It's just like that's the only word you can but, use. But, but sorry, you're right. That was a fascinating answer because of... I felt like he didn't answer it. Yeah. I, I feel like he didn't answer the fact that they do have lots of Western opponents coming up and that these are games that are important. Instead, he, what he wanted to focus on was the fact that they have bounced back, that they can bounce back, but they need to be consistent. I don't know that, again, we haven't seen consistency from this team. They keep using the word, but like, do they not know the meaning? I don't know. <laughs> um, because we we see this kind of Jekyll and Hyde whole thing where you get them playing off their butts against Colorado and then you get them sleeping against the wild. So I don't, you never know who you're going to get. But I thought what was interesting was that he said they need to be the, the seven and three team for the rest of this month instead of the three and seven team. And I just don't know if they can do that. It's a very fair question, Gemma. Uh, On that note, we will let you go. We appreciate it, as always, and we look forward to chatting again next week. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. There she is. That is Gemma Carson-Smith, our Monday regular, talking about the most interesting sound bites from the Canucks over the last week. Of course, she covers the team for the Canadian press. Uh, Just before the end of the segment here, Drancer, the other quote, well, there's a couple from Bruce Boudreaux. I mean, one was... Uh, his response of seriously to our colleague Ian McIntyre's question and then going on to say, no, it's not a systems play when a guy puts uh, a tape or a pass right on the tape of the other player on the power play. Fair question. Oh, and we had iMac on the postgame show. Fair response. That's exactly what he said as well. He said, I'm not, there's no ruffled feathers here. It's No, but also, but also like iMac's, it's fine to ask that question. Okay. But who's first in the NHL by shorthanded goals against? Do you know? Is it the Canucks? No. Canucks are second. Yeah. Number one is Tampa Bay. So it's like, 
you know, again, it's like the Canucks aren't giving, have, don't have any giveaways. Well, who else doesn't have any giveaways? The Colorado Avalanche, who have been massively underwhelming. Mm-hmm. The Minnesota Wild, who have been massively underwhelming. The Columbus Blue Jackets, who are bad, actively bad. The Vancouver Canucks, and it's like the Sharks. It's like, is that the comp? Is that a good thing? Is it a good thing to be in that company? Right. Meanwhile, the power play is allowing too many shorthanded goals against. So are the Tampa Bay Lightning. Is that good company to be in? Yes. Like. Just think for a second. Just think for a second before being like, this is a fact out of context. It's like, well, what does it mean? What does it mean in the big picture? Is it good to have few giveaways? Well, who, which players lead the league in giveaways every every year? It's the best players who always have the puck. Which teams lead the league in giveaways? It's the best teams that always have the puck. Who, who allows the most shorthanded? Sometimes it's the teams that take the most risks or play the most dynamic style. Like, also, here's the thing. Any event that happens, like, ten times a year is fundamentally random. Fundamentally random. Well, there's going to be huge amounts of noise in the numbers. Like, do you know Bruce Boudreaux has more too many men on ice penalties since he took over than the Canucks did in the last 84 games of Travis Green? Do you remember that talking point? It was random. It's not a knock against Bruce. The Canucks took one on Saturday. It's not a knock against Bruce that they've had that many. It's completely random. It also wasn't a knock against Green. Anyway, whatever. The other thing that stood out to me. People don't think about these things. The they other just sort thing of say them. that stood out to me from Boudreaux's press conference was the, I didn't want to pull the goalie because I didn't think we were going to score. <laughs> Again. I, I mean, I think Bruce's endgame strategy actually is pretty good. Generally speaking, I think Bruce's endgame strategy is good. I think he's really aggressive in pulling the goalie when he wants to. Now, I think he's probably sending a message with that. He's talked in the context of you have to earn. Team has to play at a certain level to earn the goalie pull. Or certainly the aggressive goalie pull. I've seen that be something he's explicitly referenced in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, I think Bruce has a good feel for this generally. I think he's more aggressive than your average coach, which I like. Could he be a little more aggressive? Maybe. But, I mean, you know, obviously the, the stats nerd is like, 10 minutes left, go. You've got a rested first line sh- ozone shift. This is your best chance. You know, whatever. I don't. That's maybe a step too far. You know, I don't need Bruce Boudreaux to be some bad hockey version of Brandon Staley. Like, yeah. that. I don't need that. But, but also, are you, are you grading your coach against, like, the theoretical – possibilities or are you grading him relative like the standard around the nhl well that's the thing you know what i mean he's better than the standard he's not quite as aggressive as patrick wah and i like the patrick like that's the one thing patrick wah got absolutely dead right right anyway that said and and no one's going to be surprised to hear me say this like why isn't there a basic like you should have some organizational guidelines in my view that are based in part on theory and on like agreed upon risk tolerance where like who cares if you don't feel like they're going to come back the fact is is that when you pull the goalie there are two things that you increase the rate of you increase the rate of goals both ways which advantages you Mm -hmm. when you're trailing right you want lots of events even if your risk is enhanced who cares your your threat is enhanced too so it does that. Here's the other thing it dramatically re- raises. The rate at which the opposition takes penalties. Teams that are down 5-6, right, 5-on-6, take a lot of penalties because they're constantly outnumbered. 
So whether you score or not, you might earn the power play opportunity. You might not even leave the goalie out for that power play, considering how dangerous this Canucks team is five on four and how much they seem to struggle five on three, although they've been good six on four. So anyway, that's what that's. I just think you should have some like guardrails, some basic predictable guardrails that are based in part on theory and in, and in part on the ho- cumulative hockey experience in the organization and stick to those. Have a strategy, have an approach, be holistic about it. I, I, I'm, I'm, I just kind of don't like the gut feel thing, but you know, Boudreaux clearly searching for answers to hold people accountable. And, and I suspect that that was part of it. So I'm not going to do too much backseat driving beyond my knee jerk. Like, ah, I'm sick of this gut feel stuff. Well, I don't think it's, I don't have a problem with it because I don't, it's obviously to me anyways, the calculation is I'm going to dramatically lessen our chances of coming back to win this game, which we're probably not going to win anyways, in the hopes of kind of giving this shock, right? Of saying this, that will hopefully jumpstart the team. Like that's what, that's what the goal what am I, is. What am I going to respond to you with? You know, already hope is not sure. Hope is not strategy. Hope is not strategy. Have an organizational philosophy for these things. Like a good NFL team has organizational philosophies for going, at, uh, you know, going for it on fourth and on and on. And like a coach, you know, they rely on feel within a certain set of within a certain paradigm that's based on what actually enhances your probability of winning. The thing is, is over eighty-two games, you need strategies to enhance your, you know, expected wins or your probability of winning because all of those marginal decisions only matter if you use them consistently. If it's all gut feel. If it's yeah, all, but even, if it's all as you said, feel, even within you're, you're that, at a disadvantage. even within that, you have to take in the, the specific circumstances to account. And I don't have a problem with the calculation that calling I, the team out and trying to hold them accountable will produce more wins in the future than pulling the goalie will right now. Yeah, I, 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 look, I, I see what you're saying, and I don't disagree. And I want to be clear: I'm not like cr- being critical about Boudreaux on this micro point so much as if it's a window into. A, a larger issue that we've seen, which is just a lot of gut feel decisions as opposed to, you know, holistic organizational strategic thinking, perhaps related or stemming from a lack of alignment with the front office, then that's a problem. Like, that's not how a good organization functions these days. It, 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 that, that to me is the bigger issue. It's a window. It's a window into why this organization so consistently falls so short. Final segment of the show coming up. We'll get back into the Bo Horvat conversation. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back. Final segment here of Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Live from the Kintech studio, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. We have had fantastic, overwhelming feedback all show long, of course, reacting to the latest reports about Bo Horvat and negotiations between the captain and the Canucks. And, of course, the original reporting done by Rick Dollywall, uh, your other colleague at The Athletic, Pierre Lebrun, tweeting about half an hour ago. He says, further to Dollywall sports report, uh, told that the Canucks made Horvat's camp the new contract offer a couple of weeks ago. With the offer rejected, Canucks focused on the trade market between now and March 3rd. Consistent with w- what we reported at the top of the uh, of the hour, yeah. so or at the top of the noon hour. So you can listen to that on podcast when it comes out, or you can check Twitter right now. Um, our, our report is up at Sportsnet 650 uh, with additional details filling out 
uh, what what Rick Dollywall reported earlier. I, I can add a, a couple other little notes, by the way, from sure. from just working the phones over the course of the last two hours, three hours. Uh, in between breaks, I'm stepping out and, <laughs> and going to where reception is good and having a variety of calls. Which is not in this room. No. <laughs> Extremely so not in bad. this room. Yeah. Yes. And um, so, you know, a couple things I was, I was interested in. Uh, Kuzmenko. Right, that's mm-hmm. that's a factor here. You have to you have to know that, right? Like the club has got a really stellar level of performance from Kuzmenko. It looks like they're going to bring Kuzmenko Mikheyev Pedersen line back. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's see that, please, please. So it looks like we'll see that on Wednesday against the Calgary Flames, based on how the Canucks practiced on Sunday. Even though Elias Pedersen wasn't there dealing with an illness, was sent home due to illness per Bruce Boudreau yesterday. Um, still on track. The, the club's not going to really engage in contract talks with Kuzmenko and his camp until the new year. Uh, they do want to have a sense of it before, like well before the trade deadline. But sure. A, Kuzmenko's not eligible to sign an extension until January 1st. And B, the sample is too small. Both sides, per, you know, proceeding with cautious optimism, I'd say, uh, about where Kuzmenko is at. And uh, look, he's going to be a priority. He's going to be a priority, but that those talks aren't going to heat up until the new year. I can also tell you that to this point, the club hasn't considered taking a proactive um, stance to negotiations negotiations on a pos- on possible extensions with a couple of young players who are playing pretty key roles for them at the moment, Niels Hoaglander and Ethan Bear. Uh, to this point, those talks have been you know nascent, if if they've even happened at all. So th- those aren't top of mind considerations at the moment. Uh, no talks yet on both of those fronts. I've I've obviously advocated for aggressive deals on both uh, on this program. I still think that would be advisable, but there's there's a lot of time to do it. Uh, you know, in Bears' case, he's only played what 15 games for this team on the heels of being a healthy scratch mm-hmm. 21 straight times. So per- perhaps you'd like to see a little bit more. But of course, the more he plays, the more he plays well. Although it's not clear that he's necessarily going to be in the lineup against Calgary on Wednesday, based on how they practiced on Sunday. But the more he plays, the bigger a role he plays. You you are buttering him up for yourself, right? You are putting yourself in a position where he's enhancing his leverage and his arbitration case. And in his case, right, because he's arbitration eligible, that leverage is real and has a real impact. The more this goes on, uh, the stronger that gets. But uh, club's been very happy with him, right? He, he's kind of, I think, proof of concept for the organization right now in terms of what it looks like to rebuild your right side, right? Like Ethan Bear, that's like... Um, you know, one brick, one brick in the wall. Effectively, the the he he's the Pink Floyd piece for the uh, for the Vancouver Canucks rebuild the right side uh, project. Anyway, talks have not occurred yet with Bear, and then similarly with Hoaglander. Hoaglander. Um, so Bears are represented by Jason Davidson, um, and then Hoaglander uh, represented, of course, by Elaine Waugh, and that. Similar, similarly, like there's just been no talks. Now his role's been all over the place. We know this. Um, I think, I think the organization would love to see a little bit more consistency. Looks like he'll play with Horvat and Garland on Wednesday. A little bit interesting, uh, as Miller, Pedersen, and Horvat all go on to different lines as centermen again. So we're going back to the template lines in some ways. Yeah, and we'll see. Right, it's a day off today. They'll get back at it tomorrow. Yeah, I read into it. Yeah, that's fair. I, I mean, I, I read into it. I wouldn't. 
write it down in pen for Wednesday yeah, necessarily, yeah, no, but that. you know what I mean. But it's uh, I, tomorrow will be very telling. I would I, think on that, I'd on write that it project. down in pen, but I'd have my whiteout handy. <laughs> yes, um, you know, like like it for me. It's for me. It's a little more than pencil, but it's not you know pressed in pen. Sure, where I've cr- it's not written you know, in stone. Certainly not etched in stone. No. no. Um, etched, fair. Yeah, it's Hold ri- on. written in stone. You must, have, you must have it's, some strong it's pens. colloquialism, man. Come on. <laughs> Etching is a form of writing. It's, it's so colloquial that I, uh, <laughs> that I don't recognize it. Don't, uh, come on, don't make me argue this point. <laughs> just your point about the Kuz- how Kuzmenko and things like Bear and Hoagland are impacted. So just like quick math on the salary cap picture for next year. Right now, if you go to Cap Friendly, it shows the Canucks with about $69 million committed on the cap for next season. Just doing a little bit of fiddling with it, you can probably get that down to like 68, 67, depending who's up on the roster and who's not. So as of right now, there, you but know, how many bodies? The key is how many bodies? Yeah. It's 17, I believe. 16 or so 17. So that, that would be with 15 as it's shown right 15. now, okay. right? So, now, so that's like 14 million in cap space that you're dealing with. There's sure. right if we were talking about an 83.5 cap, which would be the 1 million increase. Now, as we know, the Board of Governors meetings starting right now for the NHL, it's possible they could have oh, well, a, well, another projection of They will. You know. Oh, they will. But even always, let's say always count on the NHL having a wildly optimistic cap projection that no one takes seriously. Let's say one of the one of the possibilities floated by Elliot Friedman today was that they could tr- decide to do some cap smoothing and go up by consecutive 3 million increases rather than like a 1 million and then a 5 million and then a 5 million, right? Something like that. Okay, so that's a possibility. Let's just throw it out there. Let's Sorry, just throw this, it up there. Friedman was reporting He this? was suggesting that that could be a possibility. You know who'd love that? Hockey operations groups. You know who won't want that? Players. Like, that's, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, we saw this with the NBA players where yep. it was like, should we smooth it? It's like, no, give us as much money in the system as possible. That's what the players are going to push for. Like, unless unless there's a shortfall, right, and, it, and we are looking at another flat cap year, and then it's like, okay, but we're close enough. Why don't we do some cap smoothing? Then I could see the players going for it, but if it in any way impinges on the amount that it would go up one year, the players are going to be dead set against it, as they should be, right? Last few years, their salaries have been artificially restrained, in addition to through-the-roof escrow payments, by you know the agreement, the omnibus agreement made to return to play, and the fact that the players, uh, you know, were paid through the pause, but had to repay their share of hockey-related revenue dips as a result of diminished attendance. So, you know, the players have the players signed a deal that helped them short-term, but has come with a cost the last two years. If that cost is extended a third season with the NHL having, you know, record revenues, uh, this new US TV deal, the last years of the Canadian broadcast rights deal, that mega deal, right? Like, there's no way. The players aren't going to leave cap space on the table artificially but they will agree to it in the event that it sort of helps us leave the flat cap era behind more quickly that very very simple incentives this is going to come down to does the cap smoothing create more space now or not if it's if it's if the answer is no I would expect, and the I think PA what would, the, would the specific it. scenario. We don't have the audio handy because I'm just bringing this up on the fly. Although, the specific although you know scenario what? was something like instead of let's say it would go one million up for next year and then four million and then five million. 
would you just do three million in consecutive years? So it would be an increase for next year. Well, then, then the players right? might so, say yes. So that's a possibility. That, then it's a possibility. But I'm saying if it's like yeah, four, if it's four, four million dollar yes. increase, no, 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 but no, no, let's no. leave a million on the table, no chance. No, no. I think it was more in the scenario of let's try to get it up above one million for this coming year and take uh, away some good. for the that's next. That's good season. for everybody, including the growth of the sport, right? Like yeah. you know, so you could be looking at a neighbor in the neighborhood of a salary cap of like. 85 million next year something like that sure that still puts you probably around 15 million in cap space for the canucks going into the summer between 15 and 16 something like that with 15 guys on the roster this is just all you know back of the envelope sure numbers from cap friendly so 69 with an 85 yeah so yeah 16 ish 16 ish and then and then some lingering uncertainty on tucker pullman yep which could which could give you an additional two and a half of lti space so, so it becomes, you know, you're talking about Bo Horvat, you're talking about Andre Kuzmenko, Ethan Bear. Well, I like, don't know. Gets, Are we still talking about Bo Horvat? Well, but, but my point is, if you do all of those, that cap space goes away in a hurry, right? It gets eaten up like that. Oh, oh, I mean. And then you're locking into this core, and you don't even really have any cap space left to improve the team around if, those guys. If Horvat's 8+, plus and Kuzmenko's 6+, plus, yeah, then that's, that's it. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much it right and there. That's with, and that's with one RD signed outside of Tucker Pullman. And that's Tyler Myers. I mean, no, it's not tenable. You can't upgrade the defense core. You can't do what you need to do on the defense core, in my opinion, anyway. I mean, I think the Canucks are really confident in their ability to get both better and cheaper, especially along defense, right? I think that's a a certain thing that the Canucks believe that they're capable of doing. Because they did it in Pittsburgh, right? Because Rutherford feels like they did that in Carolina. That's one thing that I think they, you know... Like they have confidence. I in say, I say, you need cap space to improve the right side of your defense. They say it's difficult but doable to to do it on a shoestring budget. Right? Uh, hey, that's fine. That's the difference between actual hockey executors, right, and someone critically opining on on you know change management theory and and optimal business strategy in a in a hard cap league like I do. Right? I mean, that's totally fair. I, I don't even necessarily – I'm not saying they're wrong even. I'm just saying that's my bias. My bias is structurally you give yourself better odds of upgrading your defense if you have an awful lot of cap space and assets. Like, that's what I think you should do. But, you know, fair enough. They think that they can find a, another couple of bears and uh, bear types and and do it on the fly. We'll see. We'll see. I'm not, I'm not necessarily betting against Jim Rutherford's ability to find – good defenseman on the scrappy i mean i agree with them that the bear acquisition is a good template to follow my question would be well not my question my my counterpoint would probably be that you need to find guys who move the needle more than bear like it's one thing to find the bear guy for the fifth round pick but can you got can you find the guys that slot in you know at two and three on your depth chart rather than four or five like bear does that's the question that i would have and that's that's a much more difficult task, but they're absolutely right that they did a really good job of bringing in a quality defenseman with Ethan Bear. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, seized an opportunity. Yeah. So anyway, uh, what were we talking about? Or just, just stuff. <laughs> cap no, but, the cap situation for next year. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so my point though is Hoaglander is going to be, especially if he continues to play a prominent role with good players and and is productive, he's going to be a two and a half million dollar player at least if you want to get him for more than a one year show me deal. Uh, which to me, you know, again, like. I'd be reluctant to do a one-year show-me deal with Oglander because I think there's something there. You know, like, you you don't want to be the Dallas Stars getting this season out of Jason Robertson. Especially if, 
you trade Bo Horvat and you're moving a Brock Besser and you're moving a Connor yeah. Garland, something like that, right? And all of a sudden there's all of this playing time and opportunity to go around for your young forwards. Think long-term on deals. Think long-term on deals, period. Like, do not sign, do not, unless you're the Tampa Bay Lightning. Like, unless unless you're going to sign a Braden Point bridge deal and make the finals all three years of that bridge contract, <laughs> you know? Like, what did the Flames get out of Matthew Kachuk's bridge contract? Not much. Yeah. Not much. I'm, I'm trying to sweet Fanny Apple. Is that what, uh, that's what Tony Gallagher would say? Sweet Fanny Apple. Sure. That's what he'd say. Uh, he wouldn't more. say it like that, but he'd say it. You don't have a Tony Gallagher? No, uh, no chance. I can't do impressions for life. I can't even speak like myself. <laughs> no, I think, I'd say you manage to speak like <laughs> yourself pretty well. A yeah. uh, few more minutes here in the show. Uh, it is still, disagreeable. Still time to read some uh, some text coming in, 650-650. This one from Van Can Fan John, who says, I think they let it slip out that they made a decent offer to prepare fans for a trade so they can say, hey, we made an offer. He didn't take it. I, I understand that perspective, but I would also say I would counter that we've heard very, very consistently from a variety of different sources, yourself included, Drance, that the team would prefer, would legitimately prefer, not just lip service, not just for PR reasons, would legitimately prefer to sign Bo Horvat. So I think you kind of have to understand it in that context as well. I see where the listener is coming from, but I don't, my initial read of this anyways, looking from the outside, is not necessarily that it's a face-saving maneuver as much as it was a legitimate attempt to sign Bo Horvat. This text comes in. Why would anyone expect the Bo Horvat camp to sign an extension now unless it matches their ask? This negotiation is not at a pressure point yet. That's a fair point, right? Like the one of the great cliches is, you know, deadlines make deals. There's no deadline to speak of right now. They're not going to turn around. Well, there and, is. It's March 3rd. Well, right. But it, it's not today. It's not next week. No. We're still like, well, there's a deadline in that there's a moment at which you can no longer deal him during the holiday season. Yeah, right but is that a true? No, uh, no, no. You know what I mean? That's not a true well, deadline. I look, the Canucks are intently listening, but I mean, I don't think they're like close necessarily. The sense I got this morning was I don't get the sense that they're like close to completing anything before the holiday season. Um, but they're checking their list twice. I think they're open to it. They're open to to making moves now. Um, look. There's a possibility that this is just another wave of negotiation or just another stage or phase of this negotiation or that everyone's just trying to be kept on edge, right? That uh, in a world where this organization is intent on making sure that players are held accountable and uh, making sure that there's a, you know, sense of discomfort trying to shake a group out from, you know, I mean, let's be real. The Canucks play comfortable hockey. It's comfortable they, hockey. They let the, the opposing team plays comfortable hockey yeah, against and they, them. And they play comfortable hockey, too. Everyone's comfortable. That's, you know, if in a world where that's the problem, right? Like, you can understand why things like this would maybe get out. But all of that said, I, I take it for what it's worth. It's my opinion, but it's informed opinion. I'm not guessing. Mm. I think this is materially different. And I understand the perspective, though. Because, again, it comes back to what we've seen from this team seemingly over and over again, right? Flirting with the idea of the big, bold move, and then ultimately at the last minute or close to the last minute saying, ah, you know what? No, we're not going to do it this time. Who loves loves entropy more than the last decade of Canucks (laughs) hockey, right? Like, this this team loves it. But, you know, this is new management, right? It's true. we We saw last year, though, that the moves were... 
far from bold, right? We're very much in line with everything else we'd seen. So I get the skepticism. I just think this is different this time. Yeah, and I would still probably lean more to, well, I definitely would lean more to Jim Rutherford's entire tenure before he came to Vancouver as a NHL executive than the year he's been in charge in in, in Vancouver, right? Um, when you're judging his willingness and his, yeah. his appetite for bold moves, well, there's a lot of history to counter the last season that we've seen here. It's one thing to see how this club performed over 57 games last year and wonder if they could be better supported and, and what could happen if they were. Okay? It's another to watch the way that this team has played the last 28 games in full, right? Like, forget the, you know, dead cat bounce streak in the second half of November. Like, mm. this team hasn't played well. You know it, I know it, we all know it. There's like a few people who are still like, I believe! But it's like, come on. Well, we, we all see how this team plays. For example, I looked up post-November 1st, so after the seven-game losing streak to open the season, where the Canucks rank in various shot metrics and, you know, scoring chances for 24, right? Right. So it's not as if there's this upward trajectory. No, no, no. Well, where, since, and, since that losing streak. And w- yeah, since you have it on the page, what's the point percentage? What's the what? Point percentage. Uh, the points percentage. I'd have. I'm on natural stat. Yeah, they have it. Heaven. Do they? they? Have it. Yeah. Uh, maybe I just go left. Oh, here we go. No, no, no. Here it is. The points percentage since then is 553, which is like 18. Let me search. 18. Let me sort. 19. Nine, uh, 18th. Yeah. yeah. So 18th. I mean, even in this stretch, like even if you want to play so it erase cute, erase the seven game losing streak <laughs> for, and the underlying even stats if you are still want to arbitrarily flawed. do the random random sort of book stop thing. They're still not performing like a playoff team over the course of their best stretch of the season. Like, come on. Who are are we kidding at this point? So if you've seen that, and now you're ready to make bold moves, isn't that understandable? Isn't that relatable? It would be very... Doesn't that make sense? It would certainly make a lot of sense to me. It's very understandable to to me. That's it for us today. The PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich is up next. Thank you to everyone for texting in. You've got it right here. The home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.